Hey everybody, it's Brian. Thanks for tuning in. If you're ready to buy or sell a home in Pierce, South King, or Snohomish County, please check out John Hurlbut and his team over at Altitude Homes. John's an old friend and someone I know you can trust. He will also donate $500 to Ben's Fund for every closed transaction. I know how hard it is to find a real estate agent who has your best interests in mind. John can be that guy for you and benefit a great cause to boot. Check them out on the web at altitude-re.com slash hb. Again, altitude-re.com slash hb. Or give them a call at 253-222-2626. That's 253-222-2626. Go Hawks! Welcome to the wildcard playoff edition of Real Hawk Talk. Brian Nemhauser uh, here with the Hawk Blogger crew. Uh, we've got myself and folks, we've got a really cool show tonight. Not only are we hoping to have Warren Sharp join the show of Sharp Football Stats, um, he should be on momentarily, but we got the boys back, uh, at least for a few minutes. We don't know how long Nathan's going to last, but uh, Evan is in... Arizona. He's in Scottsdale, I believe. Uh, Evan, how you doing? I am doing great. I'm so excited. To, I, to take the attention immediately off of me, I'm so excited Nathan's back on this podcast. <laughs> Seriously so excited. He's been so optimistic recently, and I know he's feeling a playoff win this Saturday, so I feel like it's 2v2 right now. Optimism versus pessimism. <laughs> you finally have to back up for your, your correct Pete Carroll takes, so... Oh, wow. We're going to start there. Well, you know, <laughs> Jeff, uh, good to see you, my friend. Uh, glad to have you up there in Toronto. Welcome back. Thank you. Uh-oh, we're max headrooming a little bit, dude. Uh, we'll, we'll try that again in a second. What? And uh, the man, the myth, um, the father of most of the children on this planet, uh nathan ernst welcome back dude and congratulations on uh on yeah, adding another ernst to the to the world it is exhausting but it's been pretty awesome so far uh and i'm i'm really glad to be back it's uh nice to have something to break it up a bit nice nice um and i just in time um uh, i'm seeing warren uh join the show warren uh can you hear me okay yeah i got you brian how are you Good dude, look at you were like camping out by your your barbecue. Like, I love it. No, this is, this is my uh, I turned my home theater into an office, so I've got my projection screen and like seven monitors here and a couple TVs over there. And yeah, we got the whole setup here. I see the fireplace fooled me. I got it. All right, I thought you're out like by a campfire or something. Um, no, it's a, it's indoor. That's a pretty sweet setup, dude. So, um, guys, we got a lot to cover tonight. We are very, very fortunate to have um, Warren uh, join us and really appreciate you taking the time to do so. Um, you came on the show, 
don't know if it was earlier this year. I think it might have been last year, and uh, it was fantastic. Everyone loved it. You gave us a lot of insights into not only the Seahawks but the NFL and uh, and opponents. And we got a big game this week, Warren. Uh, Seahawks surprising to many, including most of the folks on this podcast, are in the playoffs. Won ten games. And are facing a Cowboys team that also won 10 games and won seven of their final eight games. Um, I'm curious, uh, you know, open-ended, you know, what are your, what are your thoughts uh, as an independent third party when you look at this game? Uh, you know, th- these two teams are in, like, I think they're both trending a little bit better offensively and a little bit worse defensively. If you look at, like kind of their their metrics year to date, and you see where they were to start the season. Like the one thing that stands out to me is the Dallas Cowboys defense. Um, and a lot of people, I don't know what you guys think, because you guys follow the Seahawks, so you probably look back to the game that Seattle played versus you guys, or you guys played versus uh, Dallas earlier in the season. Uh, but I think to the general public, when you think about, forget that Week 17 game where uh, Dallas threw the Dak threw that touchdown to end the season. Uh, and win the game over the Giants. If you think back to like what is the marquee matchup for the for the uh, for the Dallas Cowboys, I think a lot of people are going to look at that game against the New Orleans Saints. That was the primetime game that they won 13 to 10, pulled this huge upset, and it was defense, defense, defense. But if you actually study Dallas and you look at what they've done, I mean, this is not a team that has had a lot of success defensively apart from that game in recent weeks. I mean, right before that, they allowed Colt McCoy on just three days rest to pass for a 55% success rate, 7.1 yards per attempt. Uh, right after that game, they allowed Carson Wentz, who po- possibly was playing with this broken bone in his back at that point in the season, to pass for a 56% success rate, 7.1 yards per attempt. And after that, you had Andrew Luck put up a solid success rate against him. Jameis Winston and Eli both threw for over 300 yards in those games. Jameis had a 60% success rate, was marching the ball up and down the field in Dallas against these guys. So I look at Dallas and I see a defense not like what they played in week 13 against the Saints, but I see a defense that is going to be susceptible that I think you guys are going to have a little bit of success offensively against. How would you how would you attack that defense? Um, you know, what are the what are the weak spots from your perspective? Definitely a couple things that they're terrible at. And one is just kind of like an overarching, they're really bad on third downs. I mean, they're one of the worst defenses in the NFL in third downs. And again, you aren't going to think that just based on recalling that game against the Saints. The weird thing about that game with the Saints, if you look at what they did, uh Drew Brees only attempted one pass the entire game that was over 15 yards down the field. It was a third. 30-yard touchdown that he didn't even throw the ball more than 15 yards down the field. Now, I know he was getting a lot of pressure, but the good thing about what you guys have in Russell Wilson is he's mobile, so he's going to get around. He can elude that. Drew is just a pocket on him, especially up the middle. He doesn't have much recourse. I mean, he's not going to be scrambling around. So they weren't even attempting passes down the field. And this Dallas Cowboys defense, I think, can be susceptible to some of those deep passes. They really haven't faced many good offenses uh, in terms of throwing the ball down the field. If you look at, like, the last several opponents, right, you, you've got uh, the New York Giants who were playing without, without Odell Beckham. Um, Tampa Bay was decent. The Indianapolis Colts don't really throw the ball down the field very much. 
Uh, the Philadelphia Eagles have hit and miss success. That was, again, with Carson Wentz. Nick Foles has been throwing the ball down the field more. Uh, the Saints didn't. And then they had uh, the, the game before that against the Washington Redskins and Colt McCoy. So I think you guys are going to have success attacking them over the top. I know you're run, 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 and you're focused on the run game, but I think you're going to have some success with those pass plays where you're passing off of the run game a little bit. Some of the more explosive gains, I think that there's a lot of opportunities for bigger splash plays there. And then the benefit is when those plays don't work out, you will probably be facing third downs, but Dallas is so bad on third downs that I think you're going to have a little bit of success there. So, uh, you know, this team, obviously Dallas is better against the run than they are against the pass. Um, and it's going to be a little bit of, uh, of a challenge because I was looking over some of their run types, you know, what they're good at in terms of defending against the ground. Um, you know, you guys obviously run a ton of inside zone and you're very successful with your inside zone. Since week six, you're averaging a 50% success rate and 4.6 yards per carry. And you run that almost twice as much as you run outside zone. It's, it's your dominant run type. And Dallas has been good against inside zone. They're only allowing 2.5 yards per carry since week six and a 41% success rate. However, they have been allowing successful runs. The Colts, the Colts gashed them for 6.4 yards per carry and 71% success rate when running inside zone back in week 15 against them. Uh, the Giants just last week, they didn't have a high yard per carry, but they recorded a 67% success rate on nine rushing attempts using inside zone. I also think, so I think you guys could have a little bit of success with inside zone, but the other thing is, I know you guys don't use this very much. Uh, you only had like three rush attempts from power out of the last two weeks, but Dallas has been really bad against power, like terrible, 63% success rate and 4.9 yards per carry back since week six. And I mean, pretty much everybody's had success. I mean, Tampa Bay used it, gained five yards per carry and a 75% success rate. The Colts, six yards per carry and a 60% success rate. That's two out of the last three weeks. The Giants didn't run any power last week. So, you know, there's some run types. I think, um, I don't know how much you'll use the power to gain some edges, but I definitely think you'll have a little bit of success sporadically using some of your inside zone. Yeah, it's really fascinating. I'm curious, um, on the the flip side, uh, you've got a lot of people talking about Dak Prescott and Zeke and Amari Cooper and the Dallas offense. From what I was looking, the, the Dallas offense has not been quite as good as I think people seem to think it is. Um, I'm curious where your head, I mean, Seahawks defense is certainly not very good. So um, I think I, I actually saw the Seahawks defense in the last eight games of the season, we're allowing the second most yards per play in the NFL, over 6.2 yards per play. Um, so I'm curious, how, how do you see that matchup? How do you see that side of the ball working out? Uh, you know, this, this sounds like on paper, right? It's a low total, 43, 42 and a half. And it seems like it's going to be set up perfectly for this defensive struggle because you got two teams that want to try to run the football. But one of the interesting things when you're looking at Dallas, this is something I look at, um, you know, when I'm analyzing teams, offenses, et cetera, is you have to really study trending nature of these offenses because things change. And so looking at year-to-date statistics is of, I don't want to say minimal value, but you're definitely going to want to look at, you know, what a team has done the last four to six to eight weeks. Is there a trend? And, you know, definitely 
doubt it, it come to like basically uh, ahead last week against the Giants in that week 17 game where they had absolutely nothing to, to prove. They did not need to do anything. And yet they were trying to, they were calling timeouts at the end of the game when they should have just won, let the clock run out so they could emerge healthy. They were calling timeouts to try to win that game. They kept that Prescott, all these other guys that they didn't need to keep in there in the game. It was all about this more aggressive nature. And it's really shown itself in, I think like three key areas. Um, the first area is Dallas started out the season. I, I like to look at uh, what a team does on early downs in the first half to really get an understanding of what their philosophy is. Strip out third down, that's reactionary. Strip out second half, that's reactionary. And weeks one to six, Dallas was 57% run on early downs in the first half, the most run heavy in the NFL by far. From week seven onward, they're down to 45% run. So they're 55% pass. That's actually more pass heavy than the league average. So, uh, and their passing efficiency has increased um, uh, in large part due to Amari Cooper coming into town. So that's been a big change in Dallas's uh, philosophy. They're passing the ball a little bit more than they were. Um, the other thing is they started to throw the ball deeper a little bit on early downs. Their uh, pass attempts past 15 yards in the air has increased over the course of the season. And lastly, they've been targeting Ezekiel Elliott more in the passing game as it's helped to open up other things. You, you know, I think we talked about this the last time I was on your show about throwing the football to running backs and how much of an edge that is. And they started to incorporate that a lot more after the weeks one to three. I think they threw the ball. May, I don't, I don't even know the exact number. It was, it was probably around like, 10 to 12 times total to Zeke and zero were successful. They had a 0% success rate throwing the ball to Ezekiel Elliott. Since that point in time, um, since week four, they have the number six best yards per attempt to running backs and the number seven best success rate when they throw the ball to running backs. So, you know, this offense is a lot different than they were to start the year. They're not nearly as conservative. Um, they aren't very explosive. Football down the field a little bit more. They still struggle uh, producing explosive gains. So, you know, I think that will help your pass defense a little bit from that perspective. But the other and we, the other thing that we know, um, this was Sports Info Solutions did this research. You guys might have already known about it. But, uh, you know, one of the things that Dallas and, and Dak struggle with tremendously is throwing the ball against zone defense is so much better, especially with Amari targets when they're playing against man and you guys play predominantly zone. So that's going to be a little bit more of a challenge for their passing offense. Um, I just think that they're going to be a lot more balanced than, you know, some more casual fans who just think about Dallas and think about a run heavy team with Jason Garrett as the coach. And they're very conservative. Like, I think we're going to see a lot more balance here um, and a little bit more aggressiveness. They came out, Zeke, you probably heard it this week said they want to get started faster. And that did not mean to me like up tempo. That means they want to score points. I think the last three times they've played you guys, they've never scored a point in the first quarter in any of those games. So they are de uh, determined to put points on the board early in this game. And that plays into what I think they're going to do is like a more aggressive style of game planning. But the, the last thing I'll mention before I throw it back to you is their red zone offense is pretty bad. They do not have a lot of success in the red zone scoring points. They did have success last week against the Giants. I think they went three of four. One of the things that they should be doing, but would be a little bit of a challenge against your defense, is Dak Prescott run 
runs. You guys are very good defending quarterback runs in the red zone, but Dak Prescott has one more touchdown than Zeke has inside the red zone on half the rushing attempts. He also has like, I think it's a 68% success rate compared to Zeke's like 44%. So it's night and day what he does, but he's running the ball about half the time. They really, in a must-win game, should be letting him use his wheels more inside the red zone. But the benefit for you guys is you guys are so good against uh, a quarterback. Um, <laughs> that is fascinating. I, I didn't. I'm a little bit surprised about the early down change. But um, for folks that don't know, um, uh, Sharp Warren has a, a, a website. Sharp Football Stats has amazing information on it. I go there pretty much every day. And I always go there when I when I write my tale of the tape. And one of the things I, I looked at this week, uh, Warren, was uh, Dallas. Like they don't pass downfield. Um, you know, past fifteen yards. I think it's like nine percent of their attempts are are past fifteen yards. Um, you know, in, in neutral script kind of situations. And then if you look at Dak Prescott, you actually have a great chart there that's um, directional passer rating. And Dak Prescott basically cannot throw to his left. His passer rating to his left on any depth is, and pretty much any down, is really bad. So if I'm the Seahawks, it sure seems like, you know, a, a wise game plan would be <laughs> hug the hug the, the short zone because it seems like that's where all the passes are going. And, you know, make sure you're covering Amari down the, the right sideline, um, you know, Curious if you've seen any of the other tendencies that stick out to you. Um, no, I mean, when you talk about throwing the ball down the field, um, what I noticed since week 10 on early downs only, they've increased their deep target passing from 9% the first four weeks up to 15% since week 10. So on early downs, they are throwing the ball a little bit more down the field, but it's still very low compared to the league averages, right? Like the league average, I think around like 20, 22%. Um, so they're definitely lower than than that average, but they have been getting a little bit more um, aggressive. And that is a great point that you make about some of Dak's directional tendencies. Um, you know, I, I there's nothing else off the top of my head that, you know, from their perspective that I, I think bears uh discussion here in response one thing that i will say totally just something i wanted to fit in there before we end this i don't, I don't know how much longer we're going to go but i just want to make sure that you guys you guys know this but just to the people who might be watching that aren't as familiar with the seahawks like your doug baldwin splits are absolutely ridiculous and the fact that he's back and 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 playing in this game and is healthier than he's been in some weeks, I think is a major factor. Not only is it just your overall passing, but your explosive passing. Um, look, in weeks, like I look at, he wasn't there really week one. You know, he played five, I think he ran five routes. In week four, I think he had an 80% uh, snap rate. It wasn't like quite his full volume yet. And then he obviously missed week 14 entirely against the Vikings. So if you kind of exclude all of weeks one to four and exclude week 14, their offensively, your explosive pass rate was only 6%. 6% of your passes gained 20 plus yards. I don't mean like passes that are 15 yards in the air down the field. And what did they do? I mean, percentage of passes that have explosive gains. If you looked at the full season, if that's what you did over the course of the entire season, it would be the worst in the NFL. When Doug Baldwin has been there in the other games, which is the majority of the season, 
you guys have a 12% explosive pass rate. If you looked at what that would be over the course of the season, like 12%, what is the number one team in the NFL? That would be you guys. 12% would be you. So you guys basically move from worst to first when Doug Baldwin's in the lineup in terms of your ability to produce 20 plus yard explosive gains. And some of that is directly attributed to Baldwin. Other is coverage that's going to Baldwin and you're able to hit lock it easier and things like that. And obviously Russell Wilson, you know, in those games when Doug Baldwin's not there again, this is probably elementary to you guys, but I want to mention anyways, like those games that I highlighted where Baldwin wasn't there, wasn't playing all his full snap rate, seven touchdowns, four interceptions from Russell Wilson. The other games, 27 touchdowns, two interceptions. So, I mean, he's just so much better, so much more confident when Baldwin's out there. I think uh, that's going to be a, a big factor here because, like I said, I do think that Dallas can be beat deep from the passing perspective, and they are so good at stopping the consistent run gains that you're going to have to do that in order to flip field position to put up points on the board. So I think those explosive plays are going to be big. All right, Warren, last question. Uh, the line started at, I want to say, one or two and a half, moved down to one. I think it's back up to one and a half. Where, where, like, not from a, a betting perspective, because I know you got a uh, private stuff there, but where's your head on this game? Like, straight up, where, where do you think this game's going to end up? Well, I, I have no problem sharing uh, some of that with you. So, you know, I'm fortunate that obviously I do handicap games, but I also have a lot of betting accounts and have great information well connected with people out in Las Vegas. So, um, initially, you know, where this game opened, uh, it ended up, it, it ended up taking some. Seahawks money early. There was a lot of Seahawks money early from some of the sharper groups that drove this line pretty low. But then some Dallas money line has come in over the last 24 hours. Basically, there was a buy order placed last night on Dallas money line. And so you saw that line, you could still get ones last night, has moved up now. Uh, Pinnacle, which is one of the larger offshores, is now at two and a half, actually. So um, you know, the, the, some of the sharper money now has come back on Dallas. Um, I think one of the reasons that that's occurred is you see some of these guys and they look at like the full body of work and they say, you know, what is the, what is the signature win for the Seattle Seahawks? Like what have they done, especially on the road? Because you guys are like the Vikings, like a number of other teams this year, including the Packers that seem to have these like very defined home road splits like you're so much better at home and this has been for you guys for years but we've noticed other tealing into that same habit where like they're just so much worse on the road like take you take the the name the new england patriots the green bay packers like some of these teams that were more consistently good are now struggling more on the road than at home and and commonly we've looked at dallas from a sports betting perspective and said that these this team has a terrible home field advantage if you go back over like uh from 2010 to 2017 or so, and you look at what the underdog is in Dallas games when they play in Dallas, I mean, it's a tremendous record against the spread. Dallas has been very bad covering games at home, especially when a favorite. But, and that's in part because like some of the crowd issues, some of the atmospheric issues there, like they just not really, it's not as much of a home field advantage as you might otherwise think. But in this particular game, it does seem like the crowd is gonna be extremely excited um, and that's going to be something that you guys are going to have to overcome offensively, I think. Um, from a total perspective, I, um, when it was 42 and a half, I took the over. That might be shocking to a lot of people who think, you know, these two teams who both want to run the ball a lot and both are playing like good or known for good defense. You know, the 
like I said, the the what's in everybody's head about Seattle is how good they were defensively, and they're thinking back to what they remember most about Seattle, which is like the Legion of Boom days in the last several years, and then making into the playoffs and the Super Bowl with defense. Um, there, as you guys know, though, who I'm talking to right now, their defense is a far cry from what they were back in those days. Yep. Um, and then I think one of the things people think about Dallas is they think that they're this run first team, run only team that um, has extremely conservative play calling. And gosh, look at what they did to Drew Brees in that game where they held him to just 10 points on national TV because that was one of the games where everybody was on the Saints. You know, I, I ended up with some of the groups that I work with. We took Dallas plus seven, right, uh, near kickoff. But there were so many people, the public especially, all over the Saints in that game thinking it was going to be a slam dunk um, to, to to go ahead and fade Dallas at home against this the Saints, which I think had never – maybe they had one loss on the, on the record at that point in time. Um, and obviously Dallas went out and, and earned that low-scoring win. But I do not see their defense being quite as good as that. So – my my um, uh, leans and perspective on this game is I lean a little bit towards the over. Um, obviously, Dallas is going to have to do a little bit in the red zone, which they haven't been doing of late. Uh, not, but I think you guys are going to have some success scoring over the top of them. And then I sort of – I'm on the fence as to the side. Um, I don't really have – I think this is a one-score game either way. I, I see easing Seattle uh, up through the three and the seven. I mean, if you guys are familiar with you know sports betting and using teasers – the best legs to take you you take two teams and you have to win six six and a half or seven points of line value you have to win both both legs there um for it to win and the key is to tease those through the three and through the seven because those are the lines that land most often games are typically decided by three points if not three points by seven points and so when you can move through those, you're getting the maximum value out of your teaser and taking the Seahawks from two up to eight on a six point teaser. So you now, now if they lose by a touchdown, you still win that leg. That's a, that has a lot of value in my, in my perspective. But um, in terms of like outright winning, winning this game, it's, it's, it's a tough call. I think it comes <laughs> down to, I know you want me to like, no, no, that's, that's, that's the truth. I think we all feel that way. So, uh, you know, it, it's, it's helpful to hear and, um, you know, thank you very much. I know, uh, you stayed on even longer than, than, uh, we expected and people are loving the information. So where can they find more from, from you, Warren, if, if they want to follow more? Well, um, like you mentioned, sharpfootballstats.com, that's the free-to-use stats website that I update each week with tons of visualizations, breaking down the play-by-play data. And, of course, you can follow me on Twitter at sharpfootball. Awesome. Thank you so much, Warren. And uh, I hope the game goes well for you and uh, for the Seahawks as well. All right, guys. Thanks for having me on. Good luck this week. Take care. Thank you. So, wow, that was like – knowledge bomb after knowledge bomb guys um nathan since uh we don't know how long you'll be able to stay on uh anything that stuck out for you um from what warren was talking about i mean for me i am expecting uh, i feel really confident going into this week and so for warren to kind of be a little bit more lukewarm and kind of seeing it maybe more as a toss-up or maybe maybe a lean Dallas even uh, that was a little surprising to me, um, especially since um, I mean, there was, like you said, that, that was a, a information dense 
uh, segment. Um, but kind of the things that I was picking up on was it seemed like Seattle matched up fairly well. You know, Seattle, uh, Dallas is bad on third downs and Seattle, you know, really relies heavily on getting on converting third downs. So that's that's good. Um, Dallas has had a bad red zone offense. Um, Seattle's had a good re- red zone defense. Um, Dak has been effective on the run, but Seattle's good against running quarterbacks and that kind of stuff. So um it felt like a lot of the stuff that he was saying kind of was reinforcing with confirming my priors as the kids like to say. Uh, but then, yeah, I mean, when you, you kind of just directly asked him, it went the other way. So that, that was a bit of a surprise. Uh, Evan or Jeff, any, uh, anything that Evan, I know that's like your perfect guest. I know you loved every, I love your analytics. I love, I love the analytics. <laughs> no, I, I'm so thankful for people like Warren just because my brain does not like think like those people do. But it, it brings such a valuable perspective. Um, but the number one thing that really stood out to me, and Nathan nailed it, was how poorly they play on third down. I really, really think um, one underrated area that we're really not talking too much about, and we should be talking more about, is the Dallas offensive line. People still have in their mind that the Dallas offensive line is some powerhouse top five unit. You know, that is bolstering a strong run game, strong pass for all that fun stuff. They've struggled bad this year. Zach Martin, um, I'm forgetting the other guard who has, or center who has um, been injured, but they, they've really been not good. And, and, I, and I said this on Twitter earlier today, if Frank Clark, this defensive line, Kuna Ford, maybe if Naz Jones, if he plays, if um, – if um, Jacob Martin, you know, balls out, I, I think even Jaron Reed is somebody we're not talking about a lot. This defensive line for Seattle has been low-key impressive, and if they can get to Dak, shake him up, and you know, really, really get them off their flow, God, I'm I'm positive going into Saturday. I'm excited. Yeah, I think you know, Jeff. I'm curious what what uh, anything from what Warren covered that stood out to you. Um, I was surprised how different Dallas, when you dig into them, is compared to how they're perceived nationally. And it's, I guess it's similar to how Seattle is perceived. And I know their poor defensive numbers have really been talked about on Seahawks Twitter. But I think the average defense will look at their points allowed and see and assume that Seattle's defense is pretty good. So I think a lot of people, probably like us, are making the same mistake with Dallas. And I know you and Nathan showed me some of those DVOA stats this week in our little group thread. And I was surprised just how different those were compared to kind of how good their defense was perceived. And I think Warren had a good point. I think that New Orleans game on national TV really shaped their perception. And that seems to be an outlier based on the numbers and based on what Warren was saying. And yeah, I think you guys make a good point. I think Seattle does match up pretty well. And I did think Dallas was kind of more of a run first defensive heavy team and it appears they're <laughs> very different. Yeah, it's almost like the Dallas offensive line and the Seahawks defense are in the same category, right? Like everyone, everyone remembers what they once were, not really digging into what they currently are. Um, you know, and that, one of the things that stood out for, for me, it was really nice to hear, is Warren kind of confirmed some of what I've been picking up as I dig into Dallas more deeply defense is not as great as as I thought that they were. And, I mean, I have a lot of respect for Jalen Smith and Leighton Vander Esch. I mean, those guys are really, really good young athletic linebackers. Um, 
Uh, Jones at, at, at corner is a really good player. Uh, you've got Demarcus Lawrence. You've got um, uh, Xavier Wood. No, that's their safety. There's a defensive tackle um, that, that's really – Antoine Woods, I think, or something like that. as uh, a really good defensive tackle for, for – anyway, they got some really good players. But over the last half of the season, they're 20th in the NFL in yards per play. Like, that's not good. That's that's not good. That's definitely not elite. So, um, yeah, and, and, you know, one of the other things that kind of – as we kind of transition into talking about – thank you, Anton Woods. Uh, um, some of the other stuff we found out for this game is, like – there's a lot of differences between that first game and this game. And not all of the, everyone's going to assume the storyline is going to be guys. Amari Cooper didn't play in that first game. Uh, Dallas is a different team. Um, you know, they're going to hear people say Leighton Vanderesh didn't play in that game. Well, he actually did. He played half the snaps in that game. He had 10 tackles. He played pretty well. Um, but I'm, let's start with this question for you guys. So one of the things that is different is Amari Cooper is going to play. But guess what? Doug Baldwin didn't play in that first game. Evan, is it a bigger deal that Doug Baldwin's playing or that Amari Cooper's playing? Doug Baldwin is not even close. Look what Warren said with uh, Russell Wilson and the Seahawks offensive splits between Doug Baldwin being on and off the field. When Doug Baldwin is healthy, this team is lethal. I trust this offense. He's a game changer. Amari Cooper, I, I'm still not sold on him being – let's put it this way. I think I think our DBs can contain him. I'm, I'm not super worried about Amari Cooper being a huge threat in this game. I'm really not. Anyone feel differently? No. no not me. No. Yeah. Uh, interestingly, when I dug into Amari Cooper a little bit as well – he had like a 210 yard game and like a 180 yard game. <laughs> and he hasn't had any other games other than maybe like 75 yards. And in the last three games of the season, he didn't have more than like 32 yards. Mm-hmm. So like Cooper's a big name and he's capable of big things, but he's not exactly. And he played the Seahawks earlier this year. Granted it was with Oakland and granted he got knocked out pretty early, but you know, he didn't do much there. So, um. Yeah, and Doug, he's got 83 yards in his last three games. Oh, good lord! Combined, yeah, uh, on uh, 11 or oh, I'm sorry, on uh 13 catches. So, you know, he's got like a seven yards per catch. Uh, last three games, so not great. Well, and and <laughs> the other thing, I'm oh, I'm kind of curious. So, so I I got so, so many uh things to ask you guys about, but. What do you guys think the key to this game is? Like w- when you think about this game, what do you picture in your mind's eye happening? And, and what are the, the keys to, to making it possible? Nathan, let's start with you. Uh, I mean, I really picture something similar to the the game they had earlier in the year. Um, I mean, Seattle still at Earl at that point. Um, and so maybe I'm overestimating um, how this defense can perform, but um, I, that that entire game, you know, I, I thought the, the Seahawks offense was sluggish and, and didn't look particularly good. And I never at one point was scared that Dallas was going to do anything on offense. Um, and I know that, you know, 
Cooper exploded in a couple games, and uh, you know they had that great defensive performance against New Orleans. But I really think that those are outliers, and that they've kind of thrown a lot of people off the scent. Um, I see kind of a smothering typical Seahawk performance. Um, not like you guys have said, you know, LLB is not here anymore and, and that kind of stuff. And, and there will be big plays by Dallas and they'll put up, you know, some points, but I just don't have any real respect for this offense. And um, I don't think it's going to be a problem for this team. Interesting. Jeff, where's your head on this? I got a couple areas. The first one to me is the status of J.R. Sweezy. And he's what questionable to play this week. He didn't practice all week. And just how bad Ethan Posick has played, that really scares me. And he's been, yeah, there's like I can't even explain how bad he's been. And last week, almost all the sacks came from the guard position with him and Effetti. If there was like a negative PFF grade, I think he would have got it. So just the difference between him and Sweezy in a game against a pretty good defensive line, to me, that's a huge factor. And the other factor, Evan kind of alluded to this earlier, is the offensive line on Dallas isn't what it used to be. They're, they're all pro center. Travis Frederick is out for the year. Um, both Tyron Smith and the right guard, Martin, are both playing with serious injuries. When Dak Prescott gets pressured, his mechanics completely evaporate. We saw it in that first game where he looked pretty terrible. And when you get consistent pressure on him, he really struggles. It's sort of like Jared Goff, but he's like under pressure. I don't know if the stats allude to that, but that's what I see when I watch him. If Frank Clark and Reed can take over the game like they have, I think that's a way Seattle can just completely suck the life out of their offense. Yeah, that's a great observation. And before I throw it over to you, Evan, um, I mean, people know about the Seahawks mm-hmm. taking 51 sacks this year on not that many pass attempts. The The Cowboys actually – like, so the Seahawks finished 31st in the NFL in sack rate. Um, so – by the way, Mike Solari is going to be the, the person that everyone hates on CX Twitter at some point. Um, but let's enjoy the, the fact that he's a hero for now. Um, the Cowboys are 29th. They're not, they're not much better. And they've given up 56 sacks on the year. And it was 28 the first half of the season. It was 28 the second half of the season. So they're just giving up sacks. The first matchup between these two teams, the Seahawks sacked them five times. Five times. Um, and Jaron Reed had a couple of them. And the interesting thing, uh, Jeff, is that Dak is, I think someone tweeted out today from PFF that Dak is either number one or number two in, in terms of quarterbacks that have created their own sacks um, so far this year. And if you listen to Dallas Sports Radio, which I've done a bunch of this week because I'm obsessed, they really talk about him fumbling. Like he is a fumbler. When he gets hit, he fumbles the ball a lot. So, um, yeah, I think one of the things I'm really curious, I want to talk to you guys about it a little bit. I think one of the great surprises this season that we have not talked about almost at all is the Seahawks pass rush has been pretty good. They're 11th in the NFL in sack rate. Um, that is not what I think any of us expected when we named it the number one weakness going into the season. So uh, I think that's a great point about, about pressure from the Seahawks defense being a big, big part of this. Evan, where's your head at? We always uh, want to know where Evan's brain is, and it's not about In-N-Out Burgers right now. Well, you stole my shine a little bit because I had these football outsider stats up. It's Go on, in- dude. Well, Go on. There's, there's, this is playoff time. Bring it. To clarify these stats, so obviously, as I said, or as I alluded to earlier, everybody still has in, these, in their minds that Dallas is this powerhouse unit offensive line. 
let's clarify some stats. Run blocking, Football Outsiders has them ranked three overall. So they're good at run blocking. They're good at setting up the run. Pass Pro, they're ranked 30th. They've given up the second most sacks in the NFL, 56 sacks, only behind Houston. They're ranked the 30th worst pass protection in the NFL. Exactly what Jeff said. You get to Dak, they do not have a single chance in this game. I believe there is one key player in this game where I can definitively say if he has a good game, the Seahawks are absolutely winning this game. And his name is Frank Clark. If Frank Clark can get to the quarterback, Dak and the Cowboys are screwed. I don't trust Dak to pull some Russell Wilson magic bullshit and you know somehow put up points on the board. I don't think they can hang with us. I, th- I really think Pete Carroll's going to try to really stop the run with Zeke and really cloud that hole. I, I, I don't see if, – if our defensive line can get to Dak, I don't think they have a chance. So I, I think the key is all about putting pressure on him and making their offense put up points. And, you know, combined with their third, poor third down defensive performances, I think we have a really good shot. Evan, that was like such an analytical and even-handed take. I, I don't know. How do you feel about this game? Like where is your, where is your, your gut? First of all, I actually think we're going to win by 10 plus. I'm not kidding. I, I don't, I, I think Dallas is like the worst team and it's not close. And I'll tell you something, as we get closer to this game, I'm ready for anybody. Give me the Saints. Give me the Rams. Give me the Eagles. Maybe not the Bears, but give me everybody else, and I'm ready to roll. I'm, I'm serious. This, I love what Will said earlier this season. Winning is pure again. Winning feels good again. There's no bullshit drama. You see what's going on with the Steelers right now? That looks like hell. That looks like hell. We're winning. We're having fun. Cable Thanos is making videos. We're memeing our way to the goddamn Super Bowl, and nobody can do anything to stop us. I'm hyped. <laughs> Love it. Love I'm it. Glad you asked that follow-up question. Yeah. <laughs> I know. Well, I had to get. I had to just pry a little bit there. It, you know, I, I did hear on um, NFL Radio today a, a Rams fan calling in, and he was talking about how he really wants to play the Bears again and the Saints again because he wants to play the teams that beat them, and you know, he doesn't want to run away. <laughs> and then he's like, and I don't want to play the Seahawks because those games were too tight. And I kind of feel like they beat us again. So it's not just you that fears the Seahawks, uh, Evan. It, you know, I think uh, there's a lot of folks feeling that way. Um, so I'm kind of curious. You guys talked about injuries a little bit. Let's talk about that for a second. There's some, there's some injury stories to this game. J.R. Sweezy is a big one that Jeff mentioned. And... As of now, he has not practiced all week. I listened to the press conference today with Pete. They listed him as questionable, not doubtful, questionable. That means 50-50. And as far as I'm concerned, the fact that he's questionable and Pete has been as optimistic as he's been, he's playing. He's playing. I don't know if he's going to finish, but he's going to start. Um, you also got DJ Fluker, who we know is going to play and says he feels as healthy as he's felt in weeks. Um we should have our starting line. George Fant back at right uh, at tight end. Fetty back at right tackle. I got to interject real quick here. Yeah. Did you see? Did you see Pete's answer? And some reporter asked him today in his press conference how Ethan Pochick has been playing. Did any of you see? Did any of you see that at all? Or I heard it. What? What did? What did? What? Did, it, it, you know, the quotes seemed fine and stuff, but like. <laughs> 
they wouldn't stand the quotes wouldn't stand out to you is weird but if if you were watching pete's face and his reaction and trying to tiptoe around how to like you know sidestep this question it was funny as hell yeah, I think he said, didn't he say, like, he was better than last week? Yeah, he was, like, better than the last time he started, which is, like, okay, that's not really good. <laughs> that is faint praise, man. That is faint praise. For sure. funny to watch that in action. Yeah, I mean, um, I'm kind of curious, like, you've got Sweezy Fluker, you've got the Delano Hill news. Delano Hill's out, been put on IR, so Tedrick's back in, it looks like, although Pete was not committal about who is playing safety. And then you've got KJ back, seeming like he's healthy. Of those kind of, uh, you know, injury situations for the Seahawks, and some people getting back, some people questionable, you know, which which are most standing out for you guys? I mean, the safety situation is concerning. Like, I wasn't super impressed with either Hill or Tedrick. Um, but to go down to your third safety, maybe, um, you know, maybe talking about Luani or something back there, uh, you can you can I, I start to have, you know, flashbacks to, like, Etrick Pruitt and stuff like that. Um, so, you know, not great. Um, I think that's the one that's most concerning to me. Yeah, I wonder. I wonder if they go to Luani or do they go to Akeem King? They've also got Maurice Alexander, who was a starter for the Rams the last two years, who didn't make the team and is very limited. But um, yeah, I, I kind of talked myself into not being as worried about that. And Jeff, I mean, what about you? How do you feel about the safety situation? Um, as you guys know, all year I've not been the biggest Tedrick fan. So seeing that Delano news was kind of disheartening. I thought he was starting to come along a little bit in the last couple of weeks. He started to play a little bit better to me. The big news though, the week was, or on the injury front was that Shaq Griffin wasn't even listed on the injury report. Yep. And early in the week, it didn't sound like he was going to play at all. The way Pete was talking right out of the game. So to me, that's what jumped out. So now you can kind of move a King, Akeem King around and he can be that chess piece if you need to move him at safety. It's a great point. Brian, you were critical of Shaq, and you know you were right, I think, towards the middle of the season. And even, honestly, in the early, early part of the season, Shaq was struggling pretty badly. Do you feel like he's come on the past few weeks, or do you think he's – I do. I, I mean, it's relative, though. Like, True, it is relative, but I feel like that's one storyline we're not talking about is he's improving. He is. He is. I, I felt like he went from – like not being starter quality, you know, being somebody who is being picked on and being beat regularly um, to a guy that looks like an NFL starter again, Um, is making plays on the ball, is not completely getting lost in coverage, not making mental Mm -hmm. errors that are as obvious. He's still giving up some plays. Um, And last year, one of the things that really stood out to me about uh, Shaquille Griffin was he was very similar to Sherm in that he did not give up the go route. You know, he had other weaknesses, but you could not get over the top of him. He wasn't good at making plays on the ball, but he was never beaten deep. He's been beaten deep a lot this year. And um, so that has been concerning. I've started to see some, the Kansas city game, he made some a good play early on the ball. Like he's definitely started to come on and Trey flowers. is another guy I haven't been high on and have been hard on. 
Um, I think his play has stepped up. He's made more plays on the ball, deflected passes. He's got me out of my seat uh, more than once. And early part of the year, you know, I was not particularly impressed. I, I still can't say I feel like we've got the cornerbacks of the future on this team. I know most people are saying that. Um, neither one of them are game changers yet. Neither one of them tilt the field, you know, make an, it really hard on an offense, take the ball away with any regularity. So, uh, should that be the standard for where they were drafted? I don't care about where they're drafted. It's a standard for, for being great and deep on defense. Like mm -hmm. given this scheme and what cornerbacks are expected to do, like, yeah, you want a Byron Maxwell, a Richard Sherman, a Brandon Browner that are ball hawks and are going to beat guys up and make plays on the ball. Yeah. And um, so, yeah, uh, you know, when, when, when we get to offseason talk, which is not now, thankfully, and hopefully a long way off, um, you know, cornerback's still reasonably high on my list of, of where I'd want to add to the team um, and, and add more talent. Um. What about the fact that uh, first game uh, against these teams, another difference, Justin Britt and George Fant did not play a single snap in that game. I forgot so, about the Britt injury. Yeah, Joey Hunt was starting at center, um, and we still had Will Disley. So George Fant was not playing um, any of the, the big package. Um, how do you guys think that that changes – how, how much of an impact do you think that's going to have in this game uh, relative to, to the first game? I mean, I'd say the fan thing is a downgrade. Uh, I think, have, you know, Disley was a very good blocker. Um, maybe not quite the, you know, the, I mean, he's not an offensive tackle, but um, so maybe he doesn't get quite the push that Fant does in the run game and stuff. But I think what he also brought in the passing game, being a, you know, viable receiver and not an offensive tackle, um, makes him a pretty clear, uh, better option there um so that's a downgrade but maybe not a huge one um and then the brit one i think is pretty significant um i think it's, uh trying to remember now i'd completely forgotten that was hurt um which probably means that hunt wasn't too bad but i i, I don't think hunt is a starting caliber player I, I just don't think he's got the the strengths and the size to to get it done and so um that's significant um and you know they ran not particularly well against Dallas, but well enough to keep doing it um, where they weren't killing themselves doing it. And so just getting a little stronger on the offensive line and being able to run a little bit better, which we know they're going to do, can only help. What do you smile about, Evan? <laughs> Nathan's tapping around the whole not running well enough to not absolutely be murdering themselves at I just like Same. the tapping. It's it's I like it. It's entertaining. <laughs> I, I mean, they did not. I, I know that you know everyone talks about the first two weeks and then the change from the end of the week three. And I think Carson had over 100 yards in that game and all that. But they they were not as they did not run that successfully. No, uh, they did. I agree. Yeah. They did not run well in that game. They were committed to running, but they did not run well. Right. And now they they also didn't just kill themselves. This wasn't an Eddie Lacy situation, right? So it, it they got them through the game against, again, what I thought was a pretty pitiful offense. And so, you know, if they can take, you know, not great running, but not terrible running and turn it into acceptable running or okay running, it's going to help them because they're going to run. 
Can can we take a second to just marvel at Chris Carson's season? I mean, is there anybody that doesn't love the fact that Chris Carson is on this team? I NFC mean, Offensive Player of the Month. He's a go ahead, Devin. He's a great backup to Rashad Penny. I, I think he's a phenomenal <laughs> serviceman. Even you know, Rashad Penny there. is the number one risk to the Seahawks winning this game. <laughs> oh, stop it. Is Even true. the stat nerds love Carson because he proves that drafting a running back in the first round is, is a bad idea. He kind of goes for the running backs don't matter thing. We can rub it in, uh, you know, into the Rams faces that we have the better running back. Uh, yeah, it's great. Uh, I think Carson on this team is amazing. And so one of the things that, you know, if you're more statistically inclined, um, the, the places that running is good is short yardage. And Chris Carson is fucking unbelievable in short yardage situations and has only gotten better. Like, I don't know if you guys remember, but when he got drafted, part of his problem at Oklahoma State is that he didn't really seem to realize how big he was, and they said he danced too much. And that has been something that has gotten consistently better the longer he's been here. And he is at the point where he is like almost, he's not Marshawn, but he's kind of getting into that range where like he hits a pile and he keeps going or he just flat knocks dudes over and, you know, some of his touchdown runs the last couple of weeks have been unreal. The way he just goes through guys or keeps powering and slides off and slips around and finds a way to get into the end zone. It's, it's spectacular. It's a lot of fun. Dude, dude has had such a great year. I think coming into this year, I was really worried maybe unfairly about his health and see if he could put together like a full season, but he's done it. And it just makes that first round pick look so Fucking stupid. <laughs> God. Yeah. Even, even the pro run people thought that was stupid. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I don't know anybody that didn't think that was stupid other than the guys that brought his jersey. Oh, shut up. <laughs> no, I actually really love that you got Penny's jersey. I love that you were all in. And part of what I love about it is that you got it not because you thought Penny was something great, but you... You were excited the Seahawks had an identity again. You're excited that that's, that's what they were committed to doing. And one of the things that's really interesting, I don't know, like that's not it. It was I a was spite purchase. It. it was a spite that purchase. Was a pure you spite know, purchase. Yeah. <laughs> no comment. <laughs> but you're projecting a little on that one, Brian. I could have <laughs> said something about that, like before the season even started, that he he was pretty excited about that that they're getting having back. An identity is better than not having an identity yeah and I mean, one of the things that analytics twitter is going to keep you know giving the other excuse which is understandable about uh facing the broncos and the the, the bears in the first two games but the human side of it is I mean, and the statistical side, they absolutely changed their play calling in that week three. And what came out again, I don't know if you guys heard the interview with John Clayton um, and Brian Schottenheimer this week. Uh, if you haven't, I recommend folks listening to it. He goes into some depth about the the hour-long meeting that he and Pete had following the Bears game and talks about how, you know, Pete really became pretty clear about, like, this is who we're going to be. And that was kind of a meeting of the minds moment. And they kind of recommitted to what, what they wanted the team to be one way or another. And now that we know that Pete's job basically was on the line, 
I think a part of that reason that happened in week two and not week seven or week eight is because Pete was like, if I'm going to lose my job, I'm going to lose it my way. <laughs> and they changed drastically on a dime. And you just don't see that happening in the NFL um, very often, other than, you know, maybe something like the Browns where they actually changed the entire coaching staff to, to accomplish a change like that. So are you, are you saying that Pete laid down the law with Shoddy or Shoddy laid down the law with Pete? Well, so I will say that what I had heard um, is that it was Shoddy who laid down the law with Pete, but Shoddy has been really clear now in both a pre-game meeting with Kevin Burkhart before the Panthers game and in this interview with John Clayton that it was actually Pete Carroll who really kind of set it straight about how he wanted to see things go. It was with Pete, it's never totally a dictate and prescription, but it was a let's talk about what's not working and let's figure out what our vision is going to be together. And they did not leave that room until they got to this answer. So that's interesting. I feel like there's some there's some covering for each other there because Pete's also said that he was the one that messed up the offense in that second half of the Bears game. And he said, I think at one point there was a comment in some article or something where Pete was saying that he thought part of the reason with the Broncos game is that he thought they were going to be a lot better pass blocking. Uh, and that was why they came out a little bit more pass happy. So both of these guys are doing like like this, but like Yeah. Like I think they're pointing at themselves, but I it's think it's pretty clear it's pretty clear that Pete covers for all his guys, players and coaches. And Shoddy came out and said, he literally said, which you're gonna hate, but he said this now three different times. I kind of fell in love with Russell and I, I really thought there's a lot that he could do. And and does not mean that he's fell out of love with Russell, but I think he realized that the team was not capable of playing that way. So um, anyway, it was interesting to hear. Uh, it's definitely worth a listen if you haven't already, but you know, it's been a, it's been a, I mean, this, this Cowboys rematch is going to be interesting to see. I think the team has actually grown quite a bit. That was the first time they would really run out this offense. And I think they a lot know a lot more who they are since then. Um, and having Britain Fant back in there, I think is a big deal. There's a lot of talk right now, guys, about Dak, Dak Prescott and Russell Wilson. And most of the talk is that, you know, Dak's, Dak's every bit as good as Russell or Dak's, you know, he's on pace to be better than Russell was where he was at this time in his career. I'm curious, you know, Evan, how do you feel about that? <laughs> Anybody who puts Dak's name in the same sentence as Russell fucking Wilson is asinine. That is one of the stupidest things I've ever heard in my entire life. Dak is not even in the same conversation, not the same discussion, not the same category. I'm not even convinced Dak is a top 10 quarterback. He does the stupidest shit. Have you ever got, have you guys ever seen like Dak play a full game instead of like just watching highlights or, you know, catching the end of a game? He does a lot of stupid crap. I'll, maybe this is a hot take, but Dak is closer to Derek Carr than he is to Russell Wilson. I agree with that. I don't think that's a hot take. I, I think he's a very timid quarterback, and, and he can do some spectacular stuff, and he can do things that make you think, oh, that's kind of like stuff that Russell Wilson does. But I, I, I don't – and I, I don't want to, like, crap on Dak. I think Dak can be a good quarterback. I, I don't think he's going to be a great quarterback. I don't think he's going to approach what Russell Wilson does. I think if you put pressure, if you get in the face of Dak, 
like like Jeff said, his mechanics completely break down. And that's what we saw with Derek Carr this year. Any hint of pressure, he throws the ball away within a millisecond. Like, I, I, I just don't trust Dak with any sort of pressure. Jeff, you know, I, you're I can't top what Evan said. Where do you, where do you where do you fall on the Dak Prescott uh, Russell Wilson discussion? I, I actually echo exactly what Evan said. I think they're completely worlds apart. And Dak, Dak's a good quarterback. He's just Russell is a great to elite quarterback, and that's a huge difference. The way I, what the great quarterbacks can do is just so much different to me. It's not like what Nathan always says about running backs; they don't matter. Quarterbacks matter a ton. And what the great quarterback can do versus what a guy who needs everything kind of to work out, everything to be in the ideal situation. I think the way just the, the pressure numbers to me are the biggest difference. What Dak can do under pressure versus what Russell can do under pressure. Dak made that play at the end of the Giants game that Warren referenced. That was like the first time he's ever made a play like that, where he like extended the play, made a play down the field. How many times has Russell done that in his career? And you know what? I'm a firm believer that wasn't even a good throw. That was an amazing catch. Seriously. Are we talking about the Beasley one, or are we talking about the one where he like chucked it on the run? Because he had that dude in thread, right? I might be talking uh, about different ones. Yeah, there's two on different the run, Rolling to the left, somebody put their knee down. Yeah, and Beasley. Uh, that was a great catch. There yeah. was another one where he, he had kind of a Russell Mahomes – Rogers type play where he was kind of rolling in. Oh, the throw to Cole Beasley. That was they've been talking about that in Dallas all week. With the knee, yeah, that's a different one. That was a great. That was mostly just yeah. Great that was a great play. But Russell does that fairly consistently, no? Um, not that particular throw. No, Russell does other throws right? like that are equally impressive for sure. Like, mm -hmm. um, like. Like to put yeah. Dak and Russell in the same category is only something that Skip Bayless can do. And that guy's I was trying really hard to not say his name the whole. He's podcast. such a moron. But <laughs> that, like, you have to be that dumb to make a comparison. And that's not a knock on Dak. Just one player is far better than the other. Are we all in agreement that he is just clearly trolling Seahawks fans? Like he's well, he's, a, he's, a cow, he's an old he's cow a Cowboys guy. fan. Yeah. yeah, I know, but like his takes are just always so bad. I never pay attention to him. And then like now when they're just in my timeline and they're about the Seahawks and oh, man, I, I I don't even want to give. Yeah, him yeah don't waste time. That's he's the whole trash. problem with the. He is so yeah. trash. Um. But what about so that's Dak, Dak and Russell. What about Chris Carson and Zeke Elliott? Like, I think that's a more interesting conversation. And look, Zeke Elliott led the league in rushing this year. Again, he's built like a Mack truck. Um, Chris Carson was fifth in the league in rushing this year, probably about three hundred yards behind Zeke, something like that. And Chris Carson had. 15 carries in his first two games and missed two games with injury. Like what does a full season of Chris Carson look like? Um, you know, and, and where do you guys, I mean, are they same kind of conversation? Are they similarly ranked? Are they in totally different classes? How do you see those two players? Nathan, I always like to start with you when we're talking running backs. <laughs> Me? Wait, you cut out for a second. Is, am yeah, I, yeah, yeah. I, all right. Uh, yeah, I mean, so one of the ways that seems like a pretty good method for evaluating running backs is looking at how 
often they're able to avoid a tackle or, or miss a, make, a, make a defender miss or something like that, right? Um, because a lot of what a running back does is about the offensive line, right? They got to pick the right hole. And then usually there's one guy that they have to account for, right? And the running back has to, if everything goes right, the running back has to make somebody miss. And so looking at broken tackles or tackles avoided or whatever, it's a pretty good way to do it. And uh, one of the PFF guys tweeted out a list of the top um, running backs who make defenders miss. And at the very top, you've got Melvin Gordon, Kareem Hunt, Kenyon Drake, Nick Chubb, um, and some of those guys. Carson is ninth. Um, and all the way down at the bottom, you've got Mike Davis at 27 and then Leonard Fournette at 28 and Ezekiel Elliott at 29. So if you put much stock into that, uh, then Zeke doesn't really look particularly special. Um, and so I, I tend to, to think that that's a good way to evaluate running backs. I think the Seahawks tend to think that's a good way to evaluate running backs. If you look at Penny, one of the things that he was really good at in college was making guys miss and, you know, Seahawks took him first overall or, uh, you know, in the first round. Um, and so, well, I mean, they, I mean, that must mean something to them, right? Because I, I don't know that Penny, you know, stood out as a first round pick in a lot of other ways, you know, that was one way that he was really special. So yeah, I, I don't really think uh, to me, I, I think Carson is a better player and I, I don't know that it's really even that close. Wow. Evan, Jeff, do you guys feel any differently? I hope any Cowboys fans aren't listening to this podcast because they would just rage. That, that well, I would rage if my team took a running back fourth overall or whatever they took Zeke too. Like, yeah, you want to pretend like he's good at something, but maybe he's not. <laughs> wow! I can't even. Yeah, I, I'm not quite there with you. I do think he's he's um he's built to be a durable running back. That is something that he that he gets as a certain plus that I think he has over Carson. I think that's meaner than anything that I said. That was incredibly back. He's built to get a lot of carries. Yeah, I agree. <laughs> yeah, you can get yards doing that's that. An actual analytics stat thing that John Schneider and his t- running back team of scouts use: durability analytics. Do you not know what I'm referencing? No. Is this real? <laughs> when they drafted Rashad Penny, it was either Pete or John who was like. Oh yeah, he ranked really well in our durability analytics. Yeah. Oh, I do remember that. <laughs> yeah, that was until he gained like seven thousand pounds. Um, okay. When I went back and listened to our Brian, our... give him a little grace. Matted or nachos are in close proximity, please. <laughs> you know, I, I went back and listened to our pod after week two, before the Cowboys game, when we were uh, basically. Nathan was saying that they were going to be just as bad as he, as he thought that they were going to be. And the rest of us were saying they were going to be much worse than we thought they were going to be. And one of the things that stood out was we were talking about that Rashad Penny, Pete said Rashad Penny lost nine pounds that week. <laughs> that week. And I'm like, God, like, oh, man, it's been an interesting season for that guy. And he's back. He's back. He's either going to be a huge positive in this game or he's going to be a, a huge negative that they're going to try to force feed into it. And one of the things I did notice when I look at, at Dallas is like outside outside runs don't do they're a fast defense. They've got those great linebackers. Rashad Penny to either end has had his best runs um, on the season. Inside between the tackles, he has not been a good runner all year long. And so 
if they're going to put Penny in there, force him in there, and they're going to try to run him outside, we're going to find out if he's been eating well and getting fit or whether he's not fast enough or special enough to do that. Cause this is a defense that, that is built to stop that kind of play. Is he even going to get carries over Mike Davis? I, I don't Mike think so. Been getting the, the load recently. Has he not? He has. He has, but Penny's been out with his knee. So I think they've been saving Penny a little bit. And Pete today sounded like he's full go. Um, and God, I, it's never going to actually happen, but Pete did mention McKissick, you know, as, as well. And I just feel like, God, he has more to offer than, than Mike Davis. As All right, Brian, Brian, different. Brian, can we stop pretending JD McKissick is any good? What? I don't think he's that good. He's different though. He, he offers different, he offers different options as a running back. You're not going to see any even... running down the field and the sideline running receiver routes. You're not going to see it. <laughs> he's okay. We, we haven't even seen we've he's got like three carries this year. What are you basing? All of a sudden, he's not good. Has JD McKissick not been in the NFL for multiple years? He was good last year. Good last year. Good. He averaged roughly the same yards behind that line that Chris Carson did before he got hurt. He was the only other guy that was over four yards a carry. Had better success rate. Like, yeah, McKissick was good. And I'm pretty sure he had the only rushing touchdown for a running back last year. <laughs> also true. Oof. Low bar, but also true. Yeah. I don't think McKissick is great, but the guy the guy is actually capable of running pass routes and doing things that could – make for some easier throws for Russell that Schottenheimer doesn't seem to create that often. And uh, anyway, I'm going to get off the soapbox. I've been on this one before, but I like Mike Davis. I'm happy he's on the team, but he just, uh, you know, either, either Penny or Davis, I'm fine with either, but then give me, give me McKissick um, as the, the third down back. Um, so, Another stat for you guys. It's about one of your favorite players, Evan. Um, Puna Ford, guys. Uh, I started looking in. He did not play in the first game between these two teams. And since starting to get regular playing time in week 13, Puna Ford ranks third. Third among all defensive interior linemen with a 91.2 grade for pro football focus. Um, only Aaron Donald and Grady Jarrett are higher. Um, and when you look at run defense, there's no defensive tackle that ranks higher than Puna Ford. Um, he's, he's registering run stops, which is like a, a, basically a failure for the offense on 20% of his run plays. One out of five. To give you some comparison, Damon Harrison, who's like the beast runs defender at defensive tackle, has been at 12.5%. So am I crazy to think Puna Ford could be going back to Texas and, and you know, playing a meaningful role? It's yeah. interesting. Go well, ahead. Because one of the Go things ahead, that, yeah. you know, we talked about earlier was getting after Dak. And I don't, I don't know what... Puna's pass rushing grades are, I, I don't know that they're particularly great, but I don't think Puna helps you in that regard. Um, but neither does Shamar so, Stephan. No, no. That was my point. 
Well, and, and yeah, I mean, I, I think he, yeah, if we're comparing him to Stefan, I mean, I, I like Puna. I'm excited about Puna. I don't know that he's, you know, an X factor in this game. If Dallas has been more aggressive, like Warren was saying, and doing a little bit more passing. And if we think that getting after Dak is really the key, I don't know that Puna is going to be the, you know, the difference maker in this game. I do think he's very good. Um, but I don't know that I, I see him as like an X factor or anything like that. I'm still I'm still surprised that he's not getting more snaps. Like I looked at the snap counts after the Arizona game, and he was still two less than Shamar Stefan. Yeah, he's basically with the, is that like an efficient? Are they trying to manage his efficiency as a rookie? Or are they trying to keep his energy up? I don't get what Shamar Stefan does, given how bad their run stuffing numbers are. You know, I, I might put this one on Pete. Like when I've heard him talk about Puna Ford. Um Who's the defensive line coach? Is it Travis? No, it's um, Clint, Clint Hurt. Clint Hurdle. Clint Hurdle, right. Hurdle. So Pete said more than once that Clint has been really stumping for Puna Ford and keeps telling him about him, keeps telling him about him. And Pete has sounded like he makes comments. Like he doesn't look like a defensive lineman. He does like kind of just seeming like he's maybe been skeptical um, and then seems to have like – gotten over the fence a little bit to where he's playing more and more but um yeah i mean he's the only he's the only defensive lineman in the nfl under six feet tall so you know i think i think you understand where there's some hesitation but he's been incredibly effective um and the seahawks defense against the run has been pretty shitty so like anything that they can do to bring a good someone that's good at anything onto the defense i'm all for it you know we were arguing about this we're talking about this brian the other day about how much kind of about the credit that Pete deserves for rolling Russ out right away, right? Whatever. But how does the guy that's cool with starting a rookie five foot eleven quarterback then like balk at the idea of a five foot ten defensive tackle? Like if height has to matter more for quarterback, right? <laughs> I don't know. That's weird. I, I, I'm like reading between like seventeen lines. It, yeah. it may not be, but yes, it would be super weird if that was the case. I, I agree with you on that. But, like, I mean, I think that's a thing. I mean, there's a, a Puna was draftable, incredibly draftable. He was, he tested through the roof. Um, he was productive. Uh, he was a very good college football player and he went undrafted for, I mean, I mean, draft Twitter gets a lot wrong, but, you know, this was one of the weird, one of the, the more baffling things for draft Twitter is like, what is going on with Puna? And then he's, you know, he showed up and he's played really well, right? I mean, he's graded out. So I think his height is a thing here. And it's just weird that. You know, you'd have a coach that was cool with just rolling with Russ and and his limitations, what they were thought to be at the time, and, and then maybe balking at Puna. Dude, it's good having you back, Nathan. Um, <laughs> so that's one potential. So, so Nathan totally threw that down as like a non-X factor. He doesn't believe Puna Ford. I, I, I think Puna Ford. I, could, I didn't say I didn't believe in Puna Ford. I just said, uh, I don't know that he's the guy in this game that we're going to be like, oh, Puna. So, so let me give you two other potential X factors. And then if you guys don't agree with these, I'd love to hear if you guys have an X factor in mind. So Jacob Martin, um, Jacob Martin, um, over the past four weeks of the season, last four weeks of the season, he was rated as the ninth best edge rusher in pro football focus, um, with at least 50 snaps of pass rush. He's basically been the equivalent of Trey flowers on the Patriots in terms of He's recorded a pressure on about 16% of his pass rush snaps. Trey Flowers is 16 and a half. Comparison, Bradley Chubb 
a rookie on the the Broncos who's been fantastic this year. He was 14.6. So I see Jacob Martin as a guy that could potentially impact the pass rush. Another guy who has been uh, off and on has been uh, Deion Jordan. And when Deion Jordan has made any plays this year, which has not been often, it's been when he's gotten a couple extra weeks of rest. He's got a couple weeks of rest. They did not play him in that game. Um, do you guys see either of those guys potentially being uh, a meaningful X factor in this game? Evan, any 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 response? I think that Deion Jordan hope is a little too optimistic for my blood. Wow. <laughs> but That's like saying like someone who loves Kool-Aid, you know. You know, but on the other hand, Jacob Martin, I don't typically trust males with two first names as a full name, but I trust this man. I like Jacob Martin. What was he, a sixth rounder this year? Fifth rounder? That's impressive. I'm excited to see what we have in him. But equally at the same time, it makes me extremely depressed to witness Rasheem Green's season, especially with the expectations we have for him. But go Jacob Martin. I love you. Go sports ball. You're awesome. I'm I, I I second Jacob Martin. I think he's the guy. I, I still think he's more of like the third guy in, in a really good like you know Super Bowl pass rush rotation type. Um, especially with you know the kind of team that Pete wants to build and probably how good he wants that defense to be. Um, but he's looked like maybe even more than that. Um, I mean he's coming off a couple good games and somebody that's killing it, coloring it. But um, yeah, I think Martin's the guy talking about trying to get up to Dak and just how well he's played lately and being able to work off of Frank. Um, I, I think he's the guy that can make a big difference in this game. Yeah, I agree. I agree with that. I think Martin's the guy who's most reasonable. Hey Jeff, we can't hear you. Oh, you can't hear me? Or you got really quiet. What about now? No difference. I miss this. I miss the Jeff audio and internet issues. Great to be back. <laughs> you miss this? Yeah, of course. Um, all right, Jeff's going to try to rejoin. Um, so another random question. I've, I've got, I'm full of this. I could go all night. But um, So first game, Michael Kendricks played. KJ Wright did not. Michael Kendricks had a sack. Um, was flying all over the field. He had a really good game uh, against the Cowboys. KJ Wright, not really. Still quiet. Um, KJ Wright is supposedly back to being healthy and um, seems like he's getting full playing time, full snaps now. Are the Seahawks better off with KJ Wright in this game or would they have been better off having the Michael Kendricks that was there in week three? I got to give the edge to KJ still, I think. Michael Kendricks was really impressive, but KJ's KJ like sees plays before they happen. His like vision, his awareness, his ability to, to sneak out, you know, like uh, running back dump off screens. I really trust KJ. Michael Kendricks is somebody who I think we might be able to – actually, I'm curious to know what his contract situation will be like. That's something I should dig into, actually. But I get the jail situation. It's worth, right? What are we near that? Did he get sentenced? Yeah. February. February for so, how long? We. That's when he, he's going to get the sentence. Oh, yeah, yeah. Okay. Handed down. Do you know if it's mandatory jail time? Like, 
I don't know. I'm just trying to get some inside information on on the next trade personally. Oh God! Was God damn it! (laughs) (laughs) Well, (laughs) no. I'm gonna go the other way on this though. I I like what I saw from Kendricks and KG. It's a little easy to um, underrate, and I'm never been super high on KJ. I mean, he does some things that are pretty unbelievable and um, with the way he can sniff stuff out and his tackling and stuff. But um, I've been kind of jonesing for someone a little bit more athletic. Um, and I think Kendrick's kind of brought that. Um, now, whether KJ maybe fits better against this offense and maybe trying to tackle Zeke and some of that stuff, I mean, maybe, but um, I don't know. I'm kind of at the point where I'm kind of looking to the, to the next KJ, and I thought Kendricks brought a lot that that maybe KJ didn't. Yeah, that's that's kind of where I end up. I mean, KJ's superpowers are being disciplined. He's a good tackler. He's um, good at identifying screens, like screen plays. Like he's good for a tackle for loss. There, um, he's decent in coverage, especially for like tight ends. He's had some good years doing that. But in general, I have not seen KJ to be a big playmaker. And Kendricks, in the short time that he played, made plays. Um, he rushed the passer. He, you know, he's fast. He's makes impact tackles. So um, I'm not sure, like, that this one is a net positive for the Seahawks. Um, although I'm certainly, like, when Kendricks went out for the year, we weren't sure that KJ was going to come back at all. And in that case, we'll be talking about Austin Calitro. And then it's like, holy crap. Like, that would be a really big deal. Um, instead, we only have to worry about Barkevius Mingo. And that's problem enough for everybody. So, uh, yeah, I, I'm happy KJ's back. I'm happy they sound like he's at full health. And he and Bobby know each other, like, inside and out. Um, and there was a time where we used to track, like, if KJ and Bobby were both in the game, the Seahawks defense played at a different level than if they weren't. Um, so, you know, uh, I'm hopeful there, but, uh, it is, it is an interesting, uh, interesting question. So, um, home field guys, it's a bigger deal than, uh, you know, Nathan, you and I, we, we're kind of getting down here to the, to the end of the show, getting to predictions and that kind of stuff. But one of the things that I've really seen when I looked at Dallas, Warren talked about Seattle being a different team on the road than at home. I actually didn't see as much of that as, as Warren, but Warren's smarter than me and spends more time on it. So I trust him, but the Cowboys, they win by an average of six and a half points at home. They lose by an average of 4.6 points on the road. So that's an 11.1 point swing, you know, basically home to road. And that's the fourth largest in the NFL this year. So, like, the difference between Dallas at home between and Dallas on the road, fourth most um, in the NFL. Um, and their offense is the biggest difference. Uh, they go from scoring 17 points on the road to scoring 25 points at home. Um, now, Seattle actually has the sixth best point differential on the road. They're plus 3.2. Um, so... I actually think that I, I I am very confident the Seahawks are the better team. And yet I look at the game and I look at home field advantage and I think Dallas is a decent team. I don't think they're a terrible team. Um, and 
I kind of believe that Dallas is set up to win this game. Um, and one of my main hopes is Seahawks have just defied logic all year. Like they just have done what I didn't expect to actually happen all year. So Nathan, I know you feel differently about this. Where, where are you at on this game? Yeah, I just don't have a lot of fear of this Cowboys team. Like they could beat Seattle. It's, you know, any given Sunday and, and that kind of stuff. They're not a bad team, but they've got like a point, a plus 15 point differential. That's, you know, roughly works out to an eight win team. Season. What's that? For the season, you're saying. For the season. Yeah, for the season. Um, you know, we talked about their um, DVOA um, rankings. It's what, like 20th and defense and 18th and offense or flip that around. I don't remember which is which, but not particularly impressive. Um, I just, this team just doesn't scare me at all. And I think, you know, if this is something that kind of comes down to the end of the game and, you know, Pete Carroll lives for those situations for better or worse, worse. And Russ has, you know, I just have a ton more faith in Russ to pull off some last minute drive. than I think Dak could, um, I, and I agree with you. I don't think that they've been particularly worse on the road. I mean, it might look a little that way, especially because of the, the first two weeks um, going on the road against a couple of really good defenses. But, you know, they went on the road and they beat the Panthers. They went on the road. They, beat, they played the Rams tough. They blew out the Raiders and the Lions on the road. Um, I mean, there's, there's that Niners loss, which sucks. But um, I just I don't have any concerns about this game. Like, I'm not afraid of their ability to contain Zeke. I'm not afraid of their ability to keep Dak and that passing offense in check. I, I, I don't know how – I don't – if you're predicting a Cowboys win or if you're nervous about this game, I don't know what you see and say, oh, no, that. Like, what is the oh, no for the Cowboys other than they're, you know, an okay football team at home? Let me give you a couple things. And and, and, and primetime game. Seattle does pretty well in this. <laughs> yeah, I think that's horseshit. But, but yes, it, 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 it happens. I mean – I'm surprised hearing that from an analytics person that the, the time of the game. Aren't they actually good on primetime though? Like don't, doesn't their record bear that out? The Seahawks? Yeah. Yeah. But I mean, you could probably like, there's all sorts of weird. Ryan, I know you don't like giving Pete Carroll credit, but you've got to give Pete Carroll credit. <laughs> <laughs> he shows up in big games. Um... You guys are so weird. It is amazing. Well, okay. But um, also dome. We don't have to worry about rest in the in the rain or in the wind or none of that. Thank yep. you, gods. Why okay. have... And that's turf too, right? He's better on turf. I, mean, I don't. I he's bad on grass. Aaron Ellie's defense. Uh, his lowest yards per attempt of any team is against the Cowboys. His second or third lowest passer rating in his his uh, career is against the Cowboys. But this uh, isn't Rod Marinelli versus Tom Cable anymore. This is Rod Marinelli, Marinelli Mar, Mar, Marinera. Against <laughs> Mike Solari, I First think are the Primavera. Yeah, <laughs> yeah it, it's true. And Russell had a good game in the first, like, few attempts, but he he had some big plays in the first game. I'll just say, like, I'll give you a couple things quickly, and then I know you other guys have, have stuff to say. Um, Cowboys defense is top ten in, in defending the explosive plays. In fact, I think they're top five overall. They're number seven in explosive passes. They're number eight in explosive rushes. Put them together, they're they're pretty high. They are an excellent run defense, run, run defending team. 
the Seahawks we know are going to be committed to the run. Um, you know, not getting a lot of yardage on the ground, on the road, um, could put them in some dangerous situations. Um, they're the seventh best red zone defense. So, um, you know, they've, they've done some good work there. Uh, and yeah, I mean, on the offensive side, it's harder to make a case. I mean, it's really the running, it's a running game. If they're able to get Zeke going, um, you know, Seahawks are 30th in the NFL in yards per rush allowed. Like they, they just have not been good defending the run. That's why, why to me, Puna Ford is an interesting guy to watch in this game. Um, and maybe that's a place that KJ helps. But if you get in a situation where the Seahawks are running the ball, not getting many yards, not able to throw over the top with explosive passes, and Dallas is running the ball effectively, those are all plausible possibilities. And I don't think that bears that, that, that does not bode well for the Seahawks if it goes that direction. So those are a few examples. Jeff, where are you at on this? I'm, I'm a pessimist naturally when it comes to just playoff games. I think I've expected the Seahawks to lose every single playoff game they've ever had. It has nothing to do with the matchup. That's just how I'm wired, unfortunately. But Dallas doesn't scare me as much as other, obviously many other teams they've played in the past. I think none of us have gone through the show and mentioned Tyler Lockett at all. I don't think we've even talked about him once. And I think the DVOA numbers you guys were showing me shows that you can beat them down the field. And I think with Lockett and what, what Warren said about Doug Baldwin, the split stats, that's what gives me the most confidence. Lockett's season was ridiculous. He hit that big play last time they played. And the Seahawks should know this scheme pretty well defensively. Chris Richard has changed how the corners play in Dallas. This should be a very familiar scheme to Russell Wilson. And yeah, even when the Seahawks played the Chiefs a couple weeks ago, one of their strategies I thought was interesting was Pete kind of let KC run the ball. And they were running the ball like super effectively all game. And Seattle was easily able to outscore them. So I think even if Zeke and Dallas is able to run the ball, I think Seattle, if they can hold in the red zone, which is one of their strengths based on, I think, the EPA numbers. I think Ben tweeted that out this week. And at Dallas isn't a great red zone offense. I think the matchup really favors towards Seattle, assuming that Shoddy and Pete don't screw it up. We haven't talked about Tyler Lockett yet. And we also didn't talk about Doug Baldwin. I don't think we did. Doug Baldwin missing that Dallas game earlier. Mm -hmm. So we did talk about it, Nathan. You clearly weren't listening to what I said. Nice I have a lot going on. <laughs> yeah, you were suckling, uh, you're suckling the baby, I, I'm sure. I just not the direct the, the, a lot wrong with that and no I wasn't. <laughs> <laughs> we, you got like the wrong direction, the wrong person. It's not the wrong. Wrong. Oh, late. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> anyway, so Doug Baldwin should help their explosives numbers. <laughs> yes. We asked the question about Doug or Amari being a bigger factor in this game. That both missed the first game. So, would well, you like to answer that question uh, now that you're done with the baby? No, I still think it's Doug Baldwin. <laughs> I, miss, I, I did. I did uh, hear that question though. So, anyway, I would just like to reiterate the importance of having Doug Baldwin back in this game. I think that's helpful. That's helpful to hear. Uh, Evan, where are you at, dude? I forgot the question. <laughs> How, where are you at with this game? You said you were going to expect them to win by 10. 
you know. Yeah, we're, we're winning. Seahawks are winning 24-14. I really don't see the Dallas offense putting up that much. I think the defensive line has a game. I, I, I'll go ahead and say Frank Clark has two sacks this game. I think Frank Clark's going to dominate. Um, I think on the offensive side, Demarcus Lawrence is going to be completely contained with our all-star stud, all-pro stud, J.R. Sweezy back in the mix. Um, I, I, I'm really not scared. It's all what you guys said. Good. I mean, guys, this is so fun. I mean, the fact that we're even having this conversation is is like and having a game to talk about is amazing. It's 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 awesome. Can I can I can I have a percentage chance real quick from each of you? What are the chances the Seahawks make the Super Bowl? Well, so hold on. Hold on. We're gonna talk about that in just a second because I, I do want to talk about it related to that. But like okay. My one last dose of like bitter reality. How many times have the Seahawks won on the road in the playoffs in their franchise history? Twice. Actually, three times, but twice since 1984. And one of those wins was Blair Walsh shanking that field goal. Um, So it's tough. It is tough to win on the road and it is tough to win in the playoffs. So I'm not saying that to be pessimistic, but if they win, I don't give a shit like what Dallas is good or bad at. It will be an accomplishment. It will be a big deal if the Seahawks are able to win on the road in the playoffs. It's not easy to do. So don't take it for granted. Um, Evan, you were asking about Super Bowl chances and Happy to take that question just as is, percentage chance, but also kind of interested in what would have to happen in this game for you guys to feel more positive about the, the Seahawks' chances of doing something more than winning one game? Like, what would you have to see? I'll go first. For me, it'd be the, it would be the pass rush and the defense playing well. Like, if the, if the Seahawks' defense can put out a good game, like an impressive game, I feel like that's that would be huge because I just feel like uh, I've not been impressed at all with the defense um, this season, especially the last half of the year. And I think that the offense can only take them so far um, with the defense that's been as bad. So that for me, you know, seeing another five sacks, six sacks, something like that would be amazing. Evan, what percentage chance do you think the Seahawks have of making the Super Bowl? Oh, God, I have, like, two devils or, you know, like the devil and God yeah. or an angel or whatever on my shoulders. Uh, I, I want to say, like, realistically, I think we have, like, a 15% chance. I think that's, like, fairly reasonable to say. I think it's a little lower than that. Wrong. <laughs> That's well, okay. First of all, like I don't, I'm not afraid of the Dallas team, but it is a road playoff game, so yeah, not not easy. Uh, and then they're gonna have to go through the Saints after that, probably. Not worried about them. Bring it. I think that's a, a little crazy, but okay. They're gonna have to go <laughs> on the road to the Saints, and then on the road to the Rams, on the road to the Bears. Give me, uh, I'm, I'm, I'm not scared of anybody except the Bears. Well. I mean, let's just, I mean, Nathan, you're a math guy. Like, percentage, Evan, let's do this for you first. I mean, maybe we'll, we'll only do it for you. 
percentage chance that the Seahawks beat the Cowboys is? I'd say 70%. 70%. Percentage chance that the Seahawks beat the Saints, assuming that that's who they play next? 50%. Okay. And then percentage chance you think the Seahawks beat the Rams, assuming that's who they play? Or the Bears? Pick pick which one you think is going to be in the The Rams? I give them a 70% chance. If it's the Bears? Oh, God, 30%. Okay. So, Evan, you did – Nathan, did you do the math for us there? What that uh, worked out? Yeah, I'm uh, trying. I'm just going to average out your 70 and 30 for the Bears and Rams and say it's 50, and that's 17.5%. So, right kind of where you were sitting. Um, really? I mean, I would say, too, like one of the things with that Rams game is I think a lot of people do the, the gambler's fallacy on that and say, hey, you know uh, – it's hard to beat a team three times and the Seahawks are due to beat them, especially with the close games. It's not how it actually works out. Um, when teams play each other three times, the team that won the first two um, wins, I think a, a pretty good chunk of the, the third game. And that's because usually if you can beat a team twice, you're the better team um, and it's going to be another road game. And so I think 70% on that is, is pretty high. But both games have been so close. They have been close. It's not like the Rams are dominating us. No, well, no, no. I'm trying to talk you into a potential win here, Nathan. Well, so Nathan, where are you? There's a couple of factors there. This is Brian. We went to the game. They lost by like five points, didn't they? Seahawks they lost by two points in that game. Seahawks were in control for three quarters of the game, and then lost it in the fourth. Mm, that was oh. a back and forth game the whole way. I don't think anyone was really truly in control of it. Yeah, I agree. I felt emotionally in control. <laughs> Were you high. memeing your way to a Rams victory? Oh, man. I was all aboard. <laughs> the Rams haven't been the same since Cooper Cup went out. Thanks to a dirty hit by, was it Tedrick? Who took him out? No, he, he came back after that. Was like, yeah, that was later. Yeah, I mean, yeah, uh, honestly, the Rams don't scare me a lot because it is a road game, but nice weather the bears game i do think that's a really low one it's the uh, what were you gonna say jeff i think okay, the rams are barely a home team like i think seahawks could end up taking half that stadium okay here's my question assuming the seahawks win are you cheering for the eagles or the bears because the bears have a better shot at being the rams and they would automatically play the rams but hypothetically the eagles would give seattle a chance to host the nfc championship where what are you cheering for Oh, I'm cheering for the Eagles. Okay. Absolutely. Because I, I, I want the Rams next week. I want them. Okay, there we go. Okay, so that's how I think. I, I mean, <laughs> the the only thing that would be close to a Super Bowl but not a Super Bowl would be ending the Rams season. That would be fun. Well, that would be a sexual experience. <laughs> Man. The Seahawks have fallen on low times. We're just getting excited about beating division rivals now. That's what this is about. Always. Always. Basically. So, so Evan, your, your, your question, I mean, I feel like there's about a 50% chance that the Seahawks win this game. Um, Dallas. You really don't give them a higher shot. What's that? You really don't give them a better shot than that? For me, it's really 50-50. Like – 
I think they're definitely the better team. The Seahawks are definitely the better team. I just really respect how much of a challenge it is to win on the road. And and I think Dallas is decent, and I think Rod Marinelli is a good coach. So, yeah, I mean, I think it's 50-50 for me. Um, and then if they were to play the Saints next week, I say, like, 20%. Like, I feel like that's probably being, like, generous. Um can maybe talk into 30 and then if they were to play the Rams the next week, I think like 65, you know, percent uh, is where I'm you at. Have a better chance to beat the Rams than the Cowboys. I, I, I mean, I get it. the Rams have been. And here's the thing, man. The first game of the playoffs is always your hardest win. I mean, like, like it is so hard to get like, the Seahawks back in 2005 when they had to play the Redskins and like, you know, what's his whack at the uh, Mark Brunel? Was he the quarterback back then? I think he was. Oh, yeah. I mean, it was like a slog and the Seahawks were at home and they were 10 times as good as that Redskins team. They were so much better and they got off the, the schneid there and then they just rolled. And I don't know. I just, I, I think, I think it's, I think it's hard. And I, I do think I really like the Rams matchup. I, 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 But in any scenario where they play the Rams, the Rams already have their first win, right? Well, I guess not if oh, the Eagles – all right, not if the Eagles beat the Bears. But. Yeah, but even th- – that's not it for me either. In this case, I just – I'm putting a lot of stock in the fact that those games were close. The Seahawks ran like freaking mad against the Rams, which is a big deal. And – Pete Carroll specifically said after that second game, he said it two different times. He's like, man, I hope we get one more shot at them. And the way he talked about it just sounded to me like a defensive coordinator who was triangulating what Sean McVay likes to do on offense and felt like he had, like, he just wanted one more chance to put it in place. And I know you guys have no faith in Pete Carroll, I have a lot of faith in his ability to adjust on defense and make something out of nothing. And I, you said this I, after the second game? Yes. So, yeah. three chances, didn't get it right. But the third time's a charm? Yes. Yes. You can, you can, you can okay. scoff at it all you want. I actually believe that there's something to it. So, we'll, hopefully we get a chance to see. That would be a fun debate. Uh, Jeff. Any other, you know, Jeff and Nathan, do you guys want to give your Super Bowl odds before we uh, we, we drop off here? Uh, yeah, I mean, I think I, I probably won't go as extreme on the odds and stuff. I mean, I think it's probably like 60% they beat the, the Cowboys and like 40% the Rams or the Saints or, or maybe even a little lower for the Bears. So, um I can get my little calculator here to work and tell you the exact number. Uh, oh crap! I messed it all up. It's low. It's not very high. It's it's above zero though, which is fun. <laughs> it is fun, Jeff. How about you? I'm probably about ten percent, so a little less than Evan. Um, just the fact that the Saints and Rams have started to fade a bit, and it's it's kind of real, and there's pretty good reasons why I think. If Seattle can get by this first game, which you mentioned how hard it is to win that first game, I think assuming the pass protection can hold up because we've seen how Russell plays with pass protection. I think to me that's the biggest swing factor in the whole playoffs. You mentioned the defense, Brian. 
to me, it's pass pro. You saw how bad they were with Posick. Fetty's been weird all year. But Fluker, <laughs> Fluker makes a big difference. The numbers show it. Dwayne Brown's had an amazing season. Um, I just think Russell can win any game. I think he's that good. And the Saints look a lot different than they looked earlier this year. But to me, yeah, to me, it's all about getting past that first game. So I'm going to go 10%. Well, I think the the running percentages out there, uh, whether it's five thirty eight or something that is around between four and six percent, uh, the Seahawks get to the Super Bowl. I think that's what it is. I don't know about Seahawks like we do. That's right. That's right. I think ten percent isn't 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 way off. I think that's that's reasonable. So, guys, uh, let's wrap there. This has been fun. It's been great having uh, the quartet back. Congratulations again to you, Nathan, and the Ernst household. Um, congratulations to you, Evan, on uh, your new pad and, and the Arizona sunshine, although I hear it's freezing there right now. I woke up. I forgot to turn on the heat of my apartment last night. I woke up. My toothbrush, toothbrush was frozen, and it was 51 degrees in my apartment. Wow. How does your toothbrush freeze at 51 degrees? <laughs> I have no idea. I have no idea. It was like frozen. I'm not kidding. Well, we will come back with more Evan scientific uh, oddities um, in future episodes. Um, and guys, let's hope we have another game to talk about next week. Uh, I'm all for for keeping riding this train. It's It's been a surprise to this point and, and fun. So uh, thanks for everyone that's tuning in. And if you haven't already, um, please hit subscribe so you know when the next Cable Thanos video comes up. You know when... The next Real Hawk Talk goes live, and um, if you haven't already, also join up at uh, patreon.com, p-a-t-r-e-o-n.com slash hawkblogger. Um, you get access to our uh, private Facebook group, and it can ask us questions, chat with us uh, in, in that group. So uh, all proceeds go to a great cause in Ben's fund. So uh, with that, uh, have a great rest of your night, and uh, go Hawks. Let's get this one in Dallas.